In this, the third episode of Mithras Matters, we have a review of Furuchita, the city of power, and Lawrence talks about something completely different in his regular update segment. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, Season 1, Episode 3, Politics and Poison Rings. Welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I'm your host, Inwills, and another huge thank you for listening in and sending me so many positive vibes through the forums and the super active Discord channel. Although we are only up to episode 3, I have to say that I have really enjoyed talking to creators and players in preparation for this podcast. There are so many really creative and dedicated people out there all contributing to the Mithras rule set. Please remember this was never meant to be a one-person podcast, so if you have any ideas for future segments, then do keep sending them into the show. Also, if you would like to do your own review or even a regular segment, then do get in touch either via the forums or the email, which is mithrasmatters at gmail.com. It would be great to have a range of people talking and sharing their knowledge rather than, well, just listening to my dulcet tones. In the second part of the podcast, Lawrence Whitaker is going to give us a sneaky peek into a new scenario based on Jack Vance's Leoness. But before that, let's have a chat with one of those aforementioned creators. In Loz's update in episode 2, he tempted us with the soon-to-be-released supplement called Furuchita, the City of Power. Well, I was lucky enough to have the chat with the editor and creator of that supplement, Alex. And this is what we chatted about. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, Alex. Um, you are the creator, editor, of what? How would you describe yourself? Both author and editor. Of? Fioracita, the Heart of Power. So when I was reading the information you sent me about this supplement, it appeared to me that it was set in the Italian Renaissance period. Is that correct? It's not the Italian Renaissance. beginning of a Renaissance period for a commonwealth known as Itarra. Right. which has parallels with Italy, parallels with the Mediterranean state, and parallels with the growth of Europe. But this setting's history definitely diverges from what we call our history. Right. And the history, which is described in the section, is rich and varied with plenty of activities and in its past which reverberates to the present day everything from revolutions 
new discoveries through to the usual famines, plagues, wars, droughts, insurrections, revolts, the usual. It sounds as if the setting is really full of political intrigue. When I was reading more about the setting, I noticed that there seemed to be some non-human species lurking in the shadows. And what can you tell us about those? Well, apart from... Uh, because this definitely has ophidians in it. There are three other non-human species. One of them is known as the Bestia, and they are um, more feral in appearance than humanoid, um, but they are a very civilized species. In fact, what I've done from there is I've taken a leaf out of a very old book of our history and I imagined what a race of beings will look like Enkidu from the Epic of Gilgamesh what a race of beings would look like if they were allowed to mingle with humanity so the bestia are wild men beast men but they're also the backbone of civilization just as much as the people as the human people and uh, the others with the other main mammalian kind of species are known as the Longane, which are the otter people, and they have a connection with water. So there are two main water features of the city of Fioricita. One is the river Cariccia, which is the city's lifeblood, and it feeds an awful lot of the countryside south of the city. And then there's the massive Lake Lasca, which is crowned by a glacier to the north and that lake is full of steep mountains um it's got island uh, it's got a, a little island community it's got communities along the coast which can only be accessed by boats and so they're all mountainous with trails that you need to blaze through the woods that nobody else has blazed before so there's Fantastic. plenty of wilderness yeah. adventures um so the longane are creatures of the water and they are like an awful lot of the non-human species and that they know some sort of magic to appear like human right. but in the water the longane adopt their true form which are big six foot otters basically and they look extremely beautiful in either form, in human or in beast form. Fantastic. So, so you've got the Ophidians, which you may be familiar with, but yeah. my take with the Ophidians is always going to be slightly different. I hope you enjoy what they look like. And then the last ones are my personal favorite, the Monacielli, which I'll have to describe it. Um, I always wondered what the Hobbit would be like if it had been written by Tim Burton rather than by J.R. Tolkien. So I'll just leave you to imagine that. But the Menachelli are definitely my favourites. There seems to be plenty of non-human species for players to either and play as characters or even just to interact with. Um, what about magic? Because I love magic in the Mithras rule set. Is there any magic within this city? And how is that adapted to fit the general feel of the city? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of that because Fiorecita is the heart of power. So 
every kind of power is represented in the city. There is political power, religious mm. power, there is social power, for example, you could rise in status as a citizen of Fiorachita, or you could rise in the ranks of various organizations, and there's mm. plenty of factions, so there's lots of political intrigue. Or there is, of course, magical power, where you can develop your own characters, um, magical skills and abilities in whichever the discipline they choose. And all the disciplines are there from the core rulebook. And they've all got their own unique twist, which is unique to Fiorachita, and they're all tied in with its history. Um, I'll give you an example. Yes, please. The two, the two masks of animism. There's two traditions within animism. They're known as the Beneditara and the Maleditara. And they're definitely, shall we say, they're a parallel to certain factions of what we would call in this world, Stregeria. So there is that whole thing about Italian witchcraft, Mm -hmm. except that this is Itaran witchcraft. They work with the spirits, but they also do things like tend herbs. They consult with spirits for magical power and for information that they couldn't obtain otherwise. And the Maleditara are master poisoners. I should mention, poisons are definitely a thing in this. There's sounds to be a lot of political intrigue and family feuds going on. Um, is that true? And, and what about weapons? Um, what sort of like era are the weapons set at? So poison rings are mentioned at a certain point. There's plenty of bladed weapons. Um, I've kept the combat at the level of William Shakespeare, so you can right. imagine that battles would be more like clashes of swords rather than the the discharge of black powder weapons. But that's not to say that your characters cannot invent those black powder weapons. They might be the ones who discover it and break the entire continent. Um, (laughs) Incidentally, you have permission as players, when you pick up this book, you have permission to do things that totally break this continent completely. You can wreck it completely in civil wars across the entire continent, if you like, or invent black powder and then totally destroy it, or invent atheism or something, and then wreck religions and whatever you want. It's yours to play with, because the setting is 1420 Berakia Reckoning. The games all start at the start of the year, 1420, where history goes from there is entirely up to you. History, as far as I'm concerned, stops at 1420. Everything else is canon for you. I'm starting to get the feeling that this setting is quite unique. Um, well, how do you see the characters interacting with the setting? Do you see them um, participating in these family feuds or political rivalry? I hope so. Some of these families do go back several hundred years. So I'm hoping that my characters can either become members of those families or they could be individuals opposing the the weight of a centuries-old family, that sort of thing. Um, You can generate your own historical characters who can appear in your character's histories. They can appear as your guardian spirits, for example. Fantastic. Or you can have some you can have one that appears as the black sheep of the family. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Or your characters can become the black sheep of the family yourselves. Um, the 
the characters, your player characters, mm. belong to a caste or a social class known as aventurieri, adventurers. Right. And as such, right. you don't fit in completely with society's rules, which means you can pretty much go where you like. You could wear what you like as well. So cavalry trousers, silk hat with a feather on it, outrageous for the period, but your guys might invent it. Mm-hmm. And within six months, it's the fashion among people. Um, heels or something like that, your characters can wear them. They were worn originally by cavalry, same thing for trousers. Again, a female character wearing heels, wow never heard of it six months and you could be the you could be the, the damn <laughs> trendsetters i mean i've never heard of a, a setting where characters become trendsetters or instead of flashing swords around or learning powerful spells all they do is set the trend and yeah. people follow suit so you might have rivals who fight political battles to try and make you seem less popular than they are or something yeah. like that or so all of a sudden you've got a completely different kind of a fantasy adventure where your Very characters so. can be where your characters don't have to be brigands or explorers of ancient ruins your guys could be Itara Zansatu, Leonardo da Vinci you could be your Tico Brahe and discover some things about the stars you could be the um you can be the Niccolo Machiavelli of Itara mm. and write a book that gets all the political pundits fascinated by, well, everything dangerous and sneaky, stabbing people in the back with stilettos or yeah. poisoning their food with a magic ring or something like that. This setting is so unique and it seems to be full of passion and emotion and I was wondering whereabouts did you get your inspiration from um, to create this fantastic setting? You know that you should never ask a writer where he gets his <laughs> ideas from but in this case I'll be generous and I'll let you know the major inspiration for Fioritita the Heart of Power comes from a very modern author his name is Robert Green no right. relation yeah. and way back <laughs> Way back in 1998, he published a book called The 48 Laws of Power. Everybody is playing a power game nowadays. They've read mm-hmm. it now. They've read Prince. They've read Marcus Aurelius. They've read all of these books. But I wanted the opportunity for fantasy players to be able to put together the 48 laws and live through them and hopefully survive and thrive by them or transgress them and find themselves with um, a nice display in front of the the public in the what they call the hanging garden yeah. which is called Piazza Derisola, it's a geographic feature in the center of town and it's a place where they do public hangings or at least they did it's in the past but they might resurrect it just to bring <laughs> the player characters give them a nice little bit of a, a jig on the end of the rope. I'm really getting so excited about this supplement, Alex. It's really different and has so many opportunities for campaigns and and adventures. Um, I'm not too sure how far along you are with the production of the supplement, but what can we expect to find 
within the pages, for example, illustrations. The imagery that I want to convey is of an Italianate city. Mm. So there should be some beautiful scenery. I'm hoping the art department will definitely give me just put it this way they'll translate what i've described yes. so far yeah. uh the front cover will show you the different non-human species interacting with one of the major characters um the setting includes things like two boulevards on east side of uh, the east side and west side of the Kariche river yeah. and they've each got their different features they've got beautiful bridges there are open spaces where bestia can hunt where um there's plenty of opportunities for adventure um even something for example like characters being hired by a magnet to go out into the woods to go foraging for fungi looking for porcini and maybe if they're lucky truffles so they can mm. buy another palazzo and on the way they get into trouble here come the brigands um, or they could set it in their history, uh, in some historical period. For example, the, the last doomed few years of um, the old city of Fioreste before it fell to various forms of vandalism and barbarianism. Mm. Um, or you could even go further back to the, the parallel with our Roman Empire, which was called the Ronaran mm. Empire and their fight against their predecessors, the Antenati. Um, so you've got all these different historical periods that you can explore, but most of the setting will be in the year 1420 Barakia Reckoning, yeah. when everything could be about to happen, and half of the time the player characters won't be reacting to it, they will be the agents of change. A huge thank you to Alex for giving up some of his very precious time to talk to us here on the Mithras Matters podcast. I must admit, I am really fired up and inspired um, to adventure into Furuchita, the city of power, and actually get my hands on that supplement. Um, oh, and by the way... Okay, well, in any fantasy setting, the most important thing about the setting is that you've got to learn to care about the setting, mm. the people, your characters, and how they live and what happens to them. So there's genuine dangers in the city of Fiorachita. They could find themselves facing all sorts of dangers, all sorts of temptations. And there's got to be something in Fiorachita for them mm. to not only enjoy playing in it but to love the setting and want to come back to, mm. to playing it and enjoying it time and time again. Um, you could have even things like a setting where your characters are enjoying a great romance and let's say for example they've had a great romance and one of the major non-player characters that they've used as a connection has died or something like that as a result of some intrigue. Now they can take vengeance upon the scoundrel that's murdered their loved one, or they can rest their passions by going to a certain spot just outside of the city where there's a waterfall across a bridge. And when they go there to ease their aching wounded hearts, something miraculous happens. And so there's that as well. So there's mm -hmm. beauty, 
there's romance, there's intrigue, there's danger, there's the aforementioned poison rings, there's the stiletto in the dark, mm -hmm. there's the thrill of knowing that there's an election due and all the power struggles and all the factions, there's mysteries in the shadows, I did mention, you, you did mention the shadows and I think I mentioned shadows myself, yes. but there is a whole culture of different groups very small groups and very large ones and they're collectively known as the shadow society mm. and in an election year who knows what they are interested in Fantastic. or what they want to happen and I, and I think I don't know if you've um, seen the social conflict rules that came out in the Mithras Companion but I know we did some play testing for them and I could see them fitting into this into the campaign setting Completely. Very much so. It's as if they were meant to go together, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I would let you know that um, the book itself does not mention the social conflict rules because technically I want you to be able to enjoy Fioricita, the Heart of Power, with just this core rule book, yeah. just the Mithras core rule book, and this supplement. But if you're willing to fork out the extra cash to get the Mitra's Companion to complete the core rule book, you can bring it all in, all of it. Yeah. Everything from having slightly heroic uh, characters, you could use the, uh, the Paragon rules, for instance, and mm -hmm. then adopt them to have more swashbuckling type yeah. characters. You could have the rules for corruption, both physical and social. There's also the phenomenon within the our supplement called lost to the dark which is something you really do not want to have happen to you yeah. <laughs> and then there's all the social conflict there's yeah. plenty of that everything from arguing with some vendor about some faulty item that he's tried to foist on you through to massive political intrigues in the arty during the election season which are on a par with anything shakespeare or marlowe yeah. could have come up with yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us here on the Mithras Matters podcast. Any final words to say to the listeners? If you like your power with a little bit of spice, a little bit of adventure, a little bit of intrigue, then this is definitely going to be the supplement for you. If you want something to play on, if you want the fields that you can play those social conflict rules from the Mithras Companion, mm. this is definitely your place to go. And so that's why I'm going to recommend this book, Fioricita, The Heart of Power, as being the place for you to play test the social conflict rules from the, the Mithras mm. Companion. If you've got it, this is the place you can use it. A huge thank you to Alex for giving up some of his very precious time to talk to us here on the Mithras Matters podcast. I must admit, I am really fired up and inspired um, to adventure into Furuchita, the city of power, and actually get my hands on that supplement. Um, oh, and by the way, I do apologize for my incredibly poor and awful pronunciation of many of the words. It's not one of my strong points at all. Furuchita, there I go again, 
um, really appeals to me. I really like the idea of setting a whole campaign within the walls of a city and getting the players involved in fantastic role play opportunities where they can interact with politics and family feuds. So all I need to do now is to find a group of players willing to have me as the GM for that campaign. Okay, on to the next segment. Time to let Lawrence Whitaker bring us up to date with what the design mechanism is working on for the future. Time for the tantalizing new section. Over to you, Lars. Hi, Lawrence here from the design mechanism. And this month, I want to talk about something a little different, which is Codifoot's Stipule. So Codifoot's Stipule is a self-contained scenario set in Jack Vance's wonderful Leoness. As most of you know, the design mechanism is working on a full Leoness role-playing game for release next year. And so Codifoot's Stipule acts as a sneak peek into what we're doing with Leoness's development and gives you a complete scenario to play through. So what's in there? First of all, we have a brief primer on the Elder Isles, the archipelago where the Leoness stories take place. This is designed to give those unfamiliar with Jack Vance's work a little background on the various kingdoms and history that's important to the setting. Vance is an expert world builder, and the Elder Isles represent an evocative clash of different cultures in a faux medieval setting. Think grand turreted castles, knights in gleaming armour, pretty villagers with cobbled streets and taverns with intriguing names. Now graft onto that the grittiness of the original Grimm's fairy tales and sprinkle liberally with the intrigue and brutality of Game of Thrones and you start to get an idea of what Leoness adventuring is like. The scenario itself takes place in an unnamed town on the east coast of the Kingdom of De Hout. Giving the town a name is a collaborative act in the scenario as is the naming of the inn where the characters first meet. Six pre-generated characters are provided, each the kind of personality you would typically find in one of Jack Vance's books. There's a preening nobleman down on his luck, a feisty young noblewoman, a wily trickster, a cunning thief, a priest who is not all he seems, and a local hedge witch heavily inspired by a Blackadder sketch. It's their job to investigate why the town's fishermen have been disappearing, they're ordered to this task by the town's burgomaster, Moribund, and if you get the joke, you can send me an email. And it means investigating the vacant tower of Codifoot the Magician, inconveniently located a little way out to sea. Codifoot is a character named in the Leoness books, and true magicians, of which there are only a small number, are extremely powerful, so the characters may want to tread carefully as they explore Silk Spindle Tower, which is almost exactly as Codifoot left it before he disappeared 20 years ago. What will they find there? Will they solve the mystery? Why has Moribund picked on them for this task? All should come clear as our intrepid adventurers explore and investigate. It might not end well, and for some, it might not end at all. So the scenario is fully compatible with the Mithras rules, but we've provided a few resources from the Leoness game to help games masters convey the unique mood and style of the books. A few fairy magic spells are described, and a couple of the characters have access to them. A series of random tables help players and GMs create Vancian town names, and even the name of the inn where the action takes place. 
and no Jack Vance story is complete without an elaborate meal. So to round everything off, we give you the Vancean meal generator. Now I wrote this scenario originally for Chris Hart, also known as Dirt the Dice of the Gronyard Files podcast, for him to run at UK Expo last month. But I had such fun putting it all together that I thought we'd release, release it for everyone to enjoy. It's 36 pages long and it'll be available on our web store and DriveThruRPG in PDF and pod format later this month. Now, if you subscribe to our Design Mechanics newsletter, you'll get to see the PDF before we release it to the public and you'll get a discount on the pod copy too. You can sign up to our newsletter by visiting www.thedesignmechanism.com and clicking on the Design Mechanics newsletter link from the menu bar. I really hope you enjoy Codifoot's Stipule. It's brisk, it's funny, it's whimsically brutal. Chris Hart said it was the highlight of his UK Games Expo, and I hope it whets your appetite for the Leoness RPG. That's all for me from this month. May your Mithras matter. So that's it. The third episode of the official Mythwest podcast comes to an end. I hope you have enjoyed it. And if you did, why not subscribe so you get a notification when next month's episode goes live. As well as this podcast, I also produce YouTube videos covering the Mithras rule set. And we play Mithras live on a Saturday evening, 1900 hours BST, that's British summertime, on Twitch. If you wish to support any of my content, then please find the links in the show notes below to my YouTube channel and my Patreon page. Okay, so until next month, let's hope that all your opposed worlds succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Have a great month of gaming, everyone, and I will see you all again in August. Bye! of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.